you have a Bible nearby, we're going to be in John chapter 14 this morning. And if you don't have a Bible nearby, that's fine. We're going to put it up on the screens. And um, as we move through the Advent season, uh, talking th- like through the themes of Advent, last week was about hope. And today, as Mr. Ray shared with us, thanks so much for that. Uh, today is about love. And, um, you know, the, to, you would think if there was a sermon about love, that that would be like an easy sermon to preach, but it's like the most broad topic ever, right? Like there's like so many ways that you could go with it. And, uh, I started to think about contextually with, for us, when we think of love, um, we of course think about our relationships with each other and, uh, there are, are different kinds of relationships where you love one another. Friendship is, is love, and you love your kids, and husbands and wives love one another, and so there's all these different kinds of love. And, and so I started thinking about just kind of like in that direction a little bit and um, thought about this passage of Scripture in John 14 and, and how it, it, it doesn't necessarily evoke the right things in us when we hear it right away because we are listening with, um, very modern American ears. And we, if we were listening with first century Jewish ears, we would have heard something very different. And so here, whenever a couple gets engaged, there's just, there's certain things that, that are just kind of known for us. Like if, if there's a couple that's been dating and the young man tells his friend, Hey, I'm starting, I'm starting to save for, save for a ring. Then we, we know what that means. Right. If if there's a young man who says, yeah, I'm about to go have a conversation with her dad. We we know what that means. Right. And if you were if you were walking down the beach, let's say, and you look down the way and you see there's a there's a couple standing there and you see the the guy like bend down on one knee and he's got something in his hand. Like, you know exactly what's happening right there. You know, we know what these things are. We know that we know what a what a honeydew shower is don't we? We, we know what a couple shower is. Uh, we know what a bachelor party is or a bachelorette party. We know what a rehearsal dinner is. We understand that when you go to weddings, especially in the South, there's like certain things that you do. So when the DJ says it's time for the money dance, people who are not from the deep South have no idea what that means by the way. But we know that you pin money to the bride or the groom and you dance with them, that kind of thing. I went to a wedding in New York City a few years ago and it was, everything was so different. I, I didn't, wasn't really sure what to do except for the fact that I've seen Goodfellas enough times to know uh, that when they're walking up handing envelopes to the groom that they're, I know what they're doing, they're giving them some money, right? Um, and so there are these customs that are regional in some ways and in other ways they're kind of American and those cultural things. Um, so let me tell you, if you were in the... If first century, if you lived in Galilee, uh, let me tell you how, what their customs would have looked like as, as best as my like research and stuff can, can explain. So, uh, we all know that back in the day there were marriages were arranged and sometimes that implies that, that the couple had no say in the matter and sometimes they didn't, but, um, in, in Israel, they, they did have a say in things. And so a young man, a young woman would have some sort of connection and the young man would decide, I, I want to, I want her to be my wife. And, um, he would go to his dad and he would say, dad, I've, I've, I, I want to marry this, this young lady. And so the, the, the father would then, uh, set up a meeting with her father and the two dads would sit down and they would negotiate 
And the reason they would negotiate is because uh, at that time, your family was, they were all workers in the family business. And so if a, if a father, if he was to marry off his daughter, he's also losing an, an employee, so to speak, you know? So there was a, there was a financial impact that would happen there. So if you had a dad and he had six daughters and a son, he could lose six, gain one. That's not really good for the family business. And so as a way of, of blessing both families, the two dads would sit down and they would arrive at some sort of cost, um, which it sounds, sounds strange to us, but if you think about it in those terms, it really wasn't like a property kind of thing. It had everything to do with sustaining the family like once she was married, married off. And so they would come to terms and they would agree on something and it could be, it could be an exchange of money. It could be cattle. It could be um, land. It could be a combination of all those things. But they would come to some sort of agreement between the two dads. Once the dads were in agreement... The, the young, the, the groom to be and the bride to be, um, they would be there at the negotiating table. And once everything was fine, uh, the young man would pour a glass of wine and he would drink from it. And then he would hand her the same cup of wine and she would drink from it. And that was her way of signaling that she is in agreement with this engagement and so uh, that's, that would be our version of, of putting a ring on her finger would be this drinking out of this common cup. And at that moment, they then became engaged. And so uh, if you were to observe this happening, that's what you would look for. And you would say, okay, I know what happened here. They just got engaged. Now, once they were engaged, they would then part ways. She would go to, uh, back to her parents' house and she would wait for the wedding. Um, so she goes back to, to her dad's house. She's waiting. He goes back to his dad's house and he begins to, um, add on to the, like the, the family structure. So a lot of the families there in Galilee, they would live in, it was almost like if you took like a, like an L shaped shopping center kind of thing. Sometimes it would make a U all the way around, but just a smaller version of that. Uh, they'd have a common area out in the middle, but then each family had like their own little room. And as the family grew, they just kept adding on rooms around, around the, the thing. So your whole family lived in this, it was kind of a commune, but you had your own space. And so this groom to be would come back and start making plans to add he and his wife's room onto the end of the property on the end of the structure. And this, uh, this could take a while, just depending on resources. And so if he had a lot of money and a lot of manpower and a lot of know-how, then they could very quickly add on to the structure and then the wedding could come. But it was always depending on finances, the weather, cooperating. Uh, you know, there's a lot of different factors going on there. So sometimes it took a long time. But the goal was as soon as possible to have this wedding. And so this young man is working, 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 working. And his father had to give approval that the structure and all that stuff was good enough, you know? So when the dad decided it was time, um, they would gather their whole family together and they would in like a like procession, like parade over to her family's house. Um, and they would, uh, it was like time for the wedding. Now, while he's off building the house, 
she's not just like sitting on her bed, you know, watching Netflix or whatever. She is waiting, but she's preparing. And the women of her family and of her community are helping her get ready. Um, she would have been typically very young and uh, like probably like 12 or 13 kind of young. And so she had grown up uh, knowing how to be a child and knowing how to be a daughter and knowing how to work in their little family business and she knew her role there. Now she needed to learn uh, how to be a wife and how to like play that role that was played in that, in that time, you know, whatever, whatever that may have looked like. And so the women of the community would begin to train her and prepare her and invest in her and get her ready. And uh, then at nighttime, you know, she's kind of doing what everyone else is doing. They would eat and they would kind of spend time together and they would go to bed. And so, but she knew that, that the groom could show up in the middle of the night if he wanted to, uh, just whenever it, it just could come at any point. And so there was a sense of waiting and just kind of having to be patient and longing for that. But she also was very active in getting ready to, like for her new role. And so the procession would come from the, the, husband, the groom and his people would, would come to her house. They would get out into her little shopping center community. Called, it's called an insula. Um, they would get there and they would start blasting these shofars. It's a ram's horn that sounds like a really terrible trumpet. Is awful, um, but they called it. A, they would in the Bible when you hear them refer to a trumpet, that's what they're talking about. They're not talking about our version of a trumpet. And so they would start to blast these shofars, and uh, that was the signal that the the groom had come to claim his bride, and it was time to have a party. And so they would have their wedding ceremony, and they would have I would have a, a party, and part of that would happen at, at her house, and then then they would all parade back to his place that he had been preparing in this new community, and it would be like a week long like festival. I mean, it's all just so much just enjoyment, and it was this huge celebration. And then for the next year, this newlywed couple uh, they didn't work in the family business. They just got to know each other, really. They got to learn how to be husband and wife. They got to just relax and enjoy that season. I mean, a year-long honeymoon, can you imagine? And so, uh, and the, the people of the community provided for their needs and made sure, uh, instead of you working, we'll make sure you have food and we'll make sure everything is fine for you. You guys just learn to be you. Um, so all of that would be wrapped up in certain terminology. Just like when I... When I say certain things, you think engagement or you think wedding, certain terms would have evoked that as well. So, John 14. We're just going to go one verse at a time. It's going to be three verses. Very simple. First, he says, he says, let your hearts, uh, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God believe also in me. Okay, so where, where are they at this moment? They, uh, they are in the upper room. So over the last week, Jesus has, uh, he's come into Jerusalem riding on a donkey and everyone was, was singing Hosanna in the highest and waving palm branches and laying their coats out before him. And he had this, this triumphal entry into Jerusalem. It was, it was Holy Week. And so there had been all these really significant things that had happened. Um, so the things we celebrate from Palm Sunday to, um, to Maundy Thursday would have, that have been the last few days for them. So this would be Thursday night. Um, 
it is, uh, they would have been in this very special like room, just the disciples and Jesus. And as they're there, uh, they would have, um, they would have, uh, he would have washed their feet by this point. He would have given them a new commandment, which is to love one another as he has loved them. He would have taken the Passover meal and redefined it for them. Uh, he would have broken bread and said, this is my body that's broken for you. This is, uh, he would have taken the wine and said, this is my blood. This is the new covenant in my blood poured out for you. Um, as often as you do this, you, you do this remembering me and celebrating my death until I come back. Uh, all this would have happened by this point. And then he tells them uh, about uh, like Peter, uh, that, that one of them would betray him and that Peter would deny him and that he was going away and they wouldn't be able to follow him. This would have been a really confusing gathering. Um, we look at the painting of the Lord's Supper and it's so peaceful and we take the Lord's Supper and it, there is something like really special about it, but it would have been really bizarre to them. Um, and then he tells them, uh, don't let your hearts be troubled. And I think a natural reaction would be, why, why would our hearts not be troubled based on everything that you just told us? Like you, you've just described all these things and you turned our whole world upside down. We have no idea what's, what's about to happen. Um, you're talking about betrayal and denial and you leaving us and we can't go with you. And we, why in the world would we not be troubled? And I think that's such a relatable, like, like if, if in fact that's how they heard it, I, I found it to be very relatable because we live in a world that troubles us constantly, doesn't it? Like, you watch the news, and it's just terrible. I mean, they have to intentionally insert, like, feel-good stories in the news just so it isn't, like, 100% sad, you know? We live in a world that's it's, it's full of hurt, and it's full of pain. Um, it, it is, of course, full of goodness and everything as well. I'm not saying that those things are void, but sometimes the darkness just seems so dark, and the pain seems so heavy. And that's a part of what Advent it's a part of what we're supposed to do during this season is to recognize that, um, that we are in between his first advent in Bethlehem and an advent that is to come down the road when he comes like in returns for us. But we're in between them. We're in that tension. We know it's going to be okay, but we know it's not okay right now in, in full. And so when he says, let not your hearts be troubled, I think it's, it's, important that we uh, not be afraid to push back a little bit and say, I, I, I need you to tell me why. Um, so we're going to keep reading. We'll circle back to verse 1 in just a minute. Look at verse 2. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, what I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. Now, Listen to that with first century Galilean Jewish ears. In light of what I just w- talked about with the wedding customs. Read it again. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? He's using very specific language with them. My father's house are many rooms. What is the groom doing? He's adding on another room to the father's house and another room and another room and another room. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. Isn't that what the groom does? 
We read that and we think, I mean, if you were a 90s Christian youth group kid, you think Audio Adrenaline's Big Big House song, uh, which by the way, go listen to it and just ask yourself, why in the world do we ever like think this was like a cool song at all? It's, it's terrible. But they would have heard, they would have heard engagement. They would have heard the language that he's using as him painting a picture that he is a groom who has gone to prepare a place for his bride. Then when he says, I have, I have, I'm, where I'm going, you cannot come. When the bride and the groom, after the engagement, they parted away, she couldn't go with him to help build the house. She had, she had something to do and he had something to do. He's using this language on purpose. So they would have heard engagement, that he is the groom and he came to us to propose to us. That's the first advent in Bethlehem. He came to ask us to marry him. Now, it took him a while to get to it. He came as a baby, lived 30 years or so, began his ministry, probably three years or so of public ministry. And here he is at the end in this room with them, this, they're engaged. And now he has gone away to prepare a permanent dwelling place for his people. And there is plenty of room for anyone who wants to be a part of it. And here he is saying, in my father's house, there are many rooms. And he is, uh, like, he means that very literally. Like, we can just keep adding rooms on and on and on and on and on and on and on. In fact, um, he loved the world so much that whoever believes in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. So whoever believes in him, he'll just add a room on for you. He's got the resources. He's got the know-how. He's got the space. But more importantly, he has the love for that. And so his first coming was uh, him showing up to propose to his people I was reading, and some people you know, interpret this as when he says, in my father's house are many rooms, they, they connect that to, um, to Pentecost, which is coming up, when the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in each person, uh, connecting the idea that, that, we are, that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so he's saying, in my father's house are many rooms. In other words, uh, all, like my father lives in many, many like, in bodies, in many like, rooms of people. So some say, well, this isn't about, this isn't about the, the future, like second coming, it's really about Pentecost. And I look at it, I'm like, well, isn't it kind of all the same thing in a lot of ways? He's really saying, uh, my, like, and when it comes to like, being married to me, there is, there is plenty to go around for everyone. But there is no limit, there is no shortage. And when he says that he's going away, when he tells them, where I'm going, you cannot come with me. This is what he's talking about. He says, I'm, I am the groom who's going to prepare a future for you. So if he's the groom, then the disciples, and therefore us, then we are the, we're the bride. Hence, the bride of Christ. And so if he's doing what grooms do during engagement, then we are doing what brides do during engagement. Which remember I said was kind of was kind of twofold. Part of it was you know at night they would just wait, 
and wonder, is tonight the night? I'm ready, you know. If it's tonight, I'm ready. If it's tonight, I'm ready. I'm ready, 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 ready. Longing for it. You ever see a, a bride who, like, has, like, the wedding's all planned, it's still like four months to go, and she's just, like, dying, you know? That's, that's us. We're, we're waiting, we're longing, and that's what the Advent season does, is it stokes that fire and reminds us of this incredible future that we have in front of us. We just, we just have to wait. We just have to wait for uh, the groom to show up. The other part of that, though, is that she wasn't idle uh, in, in her waiting. She's, like, for, for her, she was preparing and training and learning and all this kind of stuff to become a wife. And so what has is, what is he instructed us to do in our waiting? Well, he's, he's given us uh, uh, the great commandment and the great commission, right? The great commandment, which would be to, to love the Lord your God with your whole being. And that's like one side of a coin, right? The other side of the coin is to love your neighbor as one of your own. And both of those things are happening all the time. It's, it's, we say the great commandments, plural, but, but it's, when you start to really like look into it, it's really just like this one big commandment. That we are, we're loving as we wait. And so that's why during the Advent season, that's why we take up an offering to help bless those who are struggling. That's why we throw a Christmas party for our friends at Maison de Ami. That's why Breakfast in the Park is going on the 22nd uh, to, to bless that community with some like physical things that they need. Um, that's why we gather and we sing and that's why we look for, how do we take care of each other? How do we how do we embody the mission of Jesus during this time in a very unique way? We are waiting, but we're not idle. We're loving the Lord and loving each other in those ways. And he's given us a great commission. And so as we go, we are uh, seeking to like baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we're, and we're teaching uh, each other like the things of Jesus. And so that's why we continue to meet together and gather and learn and be sharpened. And that's why we want, uh, that's why like when people come to the church, or they come to our lives, um, embodying those things is so important. And so as the bride who's over here waiting, we're not just twiddling our thumbs or we're not just like swimming in circles. We are waiting with a purpose, with a mission. And so when he used all that language, that's what they would have heard. When he says, my father's house has many rooms, I go to prepare a place for you. They would have defaulted to, oh, so we're engaged. That's what you're saying. That's the language he's using on purpose. And he says, if it wasn't so, I wouldn't have told you it was so. Because you know one of the things that love does? Love tells the truth. So he's shooting completely straight with them so that they would have this greater narrative that is above all the struggles, this narrative that is above the, the hard parts of life, the difficulty that we walk through. There's this, this greater thing that's happening. And so as we are grinding through life, and even like what Mr. Ray said about this, this last year, he's, he's, the, the loss that has come into his life, along with the, the blessing, there's, there's this mixture of those things, but this narrative is above that for him. That Jesus has gone to prepare a place, and that we are waiting, loving each other, and loving the Lord, longing for the day uh, of this wedding. Look at verse 3. 
If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Again, he's using very specific, very specific language, so we have to listen with their ears. When he says, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also, they, they would have heard it's, there's a wedding that's coming. Verse 2, he says, don't forget that we're engaged here. And verse 3 says, and there is definitely going to be a wedding. It is, it is happening. There will absolutely be a wedding. So the father determines when everything is ready, when the timing is right. And in 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, I read this last week, we get a glimpse of, of what, like what will happen when the father decides now is the time. You don't have to turn to it. It's verse 16 says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And so what he's evoking in them is this idea that that we are here waiting and we are longing for his return. But until then, we are loving him and loving people, just as a summary idea. We're doing this actively. And when the father determines that it is right, the son will um, like come from heaven to us on the earth. And not sure what this looks like, right? But somehow the dead in Christ rise and he's coming not down a road, but he's coming from the air because that's where he ascended to. He's coming to here and somehow we will all, we'll go out to meet him when that trumpet blast happens. Because you will better bet that when that little bride in that building heard that trumpet sound, she came a running. And so we're going to go to him and meet him. And then he says, I'm going to take you to this place I've been preparing the whole time. But you know what? It isn't off in the heavens somewhere where the streets are gold and, and there, you walk on the clouds and you all have harps. I'm not taking you to some far off place. We're actually going back to where you've been the whole time. Um, you've, I've been preparing this place for you. I'm going to make it all new, though. You just know the busted, broken version of it. I'm about to make it all new. But the key to it all, it isn't about what we like. sometimes get caught up in about heaven. The key to it is what he says. Look again in verse 3. I'll come again, take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. That, that is what heaven is. That's what makes heaven, heaven. That where I am, he will be also. That the bride and the groom, there has been a distance between them. And for us, we're not in the exact same situation as they would have been. Because there is a, there is a presence that God has with us and his people. But, but there is a veil between us and him, you know. There's a, there is that separation until this wedding day happens. And that separation, it's not as, not as vast as it seems sometimes, but it's, it's there. And so he's reminding them, hey, you're, you, there's a wedding coming. You know that, right? Like this is going to happen. 
In Revelation 21, we read this last week as well, we'll read it again. To describe what is that what is that being with the Lord, what is that going to look like? John writes this. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the new heaven and the first earth had passed away. The sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. The second coming of Jesus is not something to be feared. It's our wedding day. You know? Like, you don't fear your wedding day. I bet every married person in this room was ner- a little anxious, a little nervous. I don't know about terrified, you know. And so as we think about this and as we sing like songs that are about this second coming, even Joy to the World that we just sang, that's, a, that's about the second coming, not the first coming. But uh, when you start to, start to dig into those lyrics and it kind of changes the whole perspective on things, it is something that we are to long for and to greatly anticipate and to not forget about, you know. So go back to verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. You know what he's essentially saying? He's like, hey, uh, you need to be confident because you are engaged. I always like to, to observe the shift in confidence from a dating couple to an engaged couple. Like there's something about that ring being present that especially with the, especially with the bride-to-be, she walks a little taller, you know, a little more confident, excited about the wedding, lots of plans, lots of things to do. But there's a, a security that comes when that commitment has been expressed. Because in a lot of ways, the wedding, in part, is, it is in that engagement. It is, it is this commitment that you are making. And so you're like committing to make a commitment, but it's like an informal commitment and a formal commitment at the wedding. But really, it's just one big commitment. That when a couple has, is engaged, there's a promise that is in place. And Jesus is telling them, reminding them, hey, a a promise has been made to you. Therefore, your hearts um, should only let troubling things like play a certain role. You can't live your life as if you are not engaged to the king of the universe, you know. But it is so easy, isn't it? It's so easy to, to go through our lives with our head down. And we're so buried in, in the details of life and our schedules and our to-do lists. And we're so, like, like we're just so in our phones, literally, like our whole lives are like inside that device, you know, that it is easy to forget this greater narrative that is above us. And as trouble enters our, our lives in various forms to let it rattle us to the core because we're so short-sighted. 
what Jesus is doing is he's saying, hey, lift, lift your head, you know, look up. Look at what your future is. Look at, look at, at how the love of God has been promised to you. You are engaged to him. Does he love you enough to come back for you? Yeah. Does he love you enough to keep his promises to you? Yes. So don't let your heart be troubled. Trust him. Just trust him. Last last thing. If you're sitting there as one of the disciples and you hear him say, let, your, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. I've got to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house, there's, there's room for all of you. And I'm going to come back for you and take you to be with me so that we're always together. Um, this would have landed in a really special place for them because what had just happened before them, <coughs> excuse me, I want to read to you. Uh, you don't have to turn to it. It won't even be on the screens. First um, Corinthians 11, right before he's telling them all this, this is what it says happened. I received from the Lord what also delivered to you that on the... Uh, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. They had just sat in an engagement ceremony that the, the, the groom had identified his bride and he had talked to the father and a price had been negotiated and the price was his life. And in his agreement, he poured a cup and drank from it and handed it to his disciples and in their agreement, they each drank of the cup. This engagement ritual, however you want to think of it, had been reenacted between Jesus and his closest followers that he said yes to the price and they said yes to the price. And he said, okay, I'm going to do what a groom does. I'm going to go get things ready. And you wait and you love the Lord and you love your neighbor and you tell them who I am and you teach them to do all the things I've taught you. And there's going to come a day when everything's ready and I'm going to come in triumphal procession and the trumpet will sound and you'll know and you'll come meet me and we'll always be together and there'll be no more veil and you'll never be sick and you'll never be at war and you'll never have to vote in another election. And uh, you'll always have enough and everyone will have enough and there'll never be have-nots uh, because there is plenty 
uh, and, and we will always be together. And if a tear rolls down from your eyes because you're grateful or for any other reason, I'll be there to want, I'll be the one to wipe the tear away. Um, and that will be your permanent reality. The goodness and mercy are going to follow you all the days of your life and you'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Don't forget this bigger narrative that's above us as we grind through life together. um, Jesus is painting a bigger picture. And so can we just receive what, like his assurance that he loves us enough to fulfill this promise and to come back for us and to be that faithful, patient bride who never doubts the goodness and the faithfulness and the love of her groom. Let me pray. Father, um, to think of, of all this in the context of an engagement and wedding and all those kinds of things is, uh, it kind of reframes it a little bit, I believe. And um, I think every one of us really wants to like lean into that and press into that more deeply. And so that requires a, a humility and a teachability on our end to um, just to be open to the things you want to say to us. And um, as we enter into a time of response, um, just ask God that you would just give us that reminder that you love us. And that this is driven by the love that a groom has for his bride. We love you, but we know it's because you loved us first that we're even talking about any of this. So we thank you and we love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Let's let's stand together. Our response time on Sunday mornings kind of has a, a few different layers to it. And that's because your personality and your background and, and just where you are in this moment may require different things. And so if you're, if you're someone who's like, I just want to get to the singing part because there's a song in my heart that kind of needs to come out. We're going to get there in just a second. Uh, if you want to come and kneel and pray at these steps, or we'll have uh, our staff members here on the front row that would, be love, that would love to just pray with you, especially if following Jesus is, a, is a, like, something that's new to you. You, know, it's not, um, you have questions about that. You want to talk with someone along those lines. But if you just want to come and pray or have some folks pray with you, if there's something stirring within you, you can come and do that. Um, we have two communion lines. And uh, imagine Jesus serving you communion this morning. Imagine him offering his, his body broken for you and his blood poured out for you. Imagine he, he's the one that's holding that, offering that out to you. Um, this promise, you know, he says, as, as often as you do this, you're, rem- you're remembering my promises that I've made to you. 
until I come through and fulfill them. And so this is a way of us saying, I believe what you have told me. I believe that you uh, have gone to prepare a place for me and that there's plenty of room for me and that you are coming again to get me. And then until that happens, uh, I've been given everything I need to make it. And so you take the bread, you dip it in the juice, and you, you take that in, you ingest that, uh, if that is a helpful thing for you. So you can sing, you can pray, you can receive communion. If you're here for the first time, people are going to be moving around a little bit, but it's on purpose. So uh, this is just to give us all just a chance to kind of breathe that in deeply uh, this morning. So uh, our tables are open. You can come whenever you're ready.